0: so before we do our scripture reading this morning i'm going to need a little bit of help from those who are a bit younger perhaps in our congregation so raise your hand and i guess parents and grown-ups can participate too raise your hand if you've seen the movie moana there we go all right we've got a good number of us perhaps more on this side of the room than on this side of the room Uh, but i see you guys over here Uh, so i'm going to ask you to call out and participate a little bit um so who is the bad guy in the movie? Do you remember the name of the person? Can, can somebody call it out for me? What's that? Taka. Exactly. That's right. And what is Taka? What what kind of um, what, what creature is Taka? Do we remember? Yeah, fire. A lava monster. It's this big, huge mountain of a person bubbling over with lava and magma, and it's dark and it's scary. And is this a a happy monster? No. Well, you're right. We'll get there. She's an angry one, and she's got a darkness that is spreading out from her and affecting everything else around her. Now, since it seems like most of you who are of the age who would want to have seen the movie already. We're going to get into a little bit of a spoiler too. Um, What happens at the end? You remember um, there was uh, uh, Maui who had stolen a precious stone and the goal was to try to get this stone back to a certain place, but then Taka shows up and what does Moana do with the stone? Yeah, she gives it to her. The monster, this big lava monster, comes right up and is roaring over her. And she gives her the stone. And then what happens? No more scary. Just happy. happy. Does she stay a lava monster? Yeah, she turns, not not for the first time, but it's the big reveal. She turns back into an island. And what color is the island? green is there any more lava no it's full of life and goodness and glory and now you might know the song but i'm going to read a few of the lyrics to you she looks uh, moana looks at takah and as takah is doing this change back uh, moana says i have crossed the horizon to find you i know your name I love Disney movies. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much beauty there. I know there's other stuff too. But there is beauty there. They have stolen the heart from inside you. But this does not define you. This is not who you are. You know who you are. And the volcano gets undone. And the trees come out again and then rather being a source of death that is creeping through everything around her, this island becomes a source of life, beautifying everything that would come in contact with her. I tell you this story because everybody and those who are a bit younger, for you too, I want you to know this is who Jesus is. He is the one who reminds us who we are. We've been studying the book of Colossians and that's really what the whole book of Colossians is. The Apostle Paul is Moana and we are Tikka and the darkness that is in us is spreading out everywhere. But this is where the gospel goes so much bigger than Disney can because Disney says this is who you are. Remember, and that's part of the truth, guys, Boys and girls, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, you were made for glory. But you and others around you have taken the heart from inside you. But God, in his great love for us, because of who Jesus Christ is, he knows, he remembers, this is not who you are. This is not who you were made to be. When the heart is restored, it's not just your own heart. Because our hearts could never be good enough. we just find ourselves another more terrible volcano. But rather, he puts his heart inside you. And this is why you are not a volcano. And this is why you can be green not because of your own life, but it is because of the life of God himself, the creator God himself, who then makes you not to spread darkness and ash, but who makes you to spread goodness and joy and life and green things growing. And that's the book of Colossians. We'll get into that a little bit more. (laughs) Let me pray for us, and then we'll do our scripture readings as well. Heavenly Father, our hearts would be ash aside from you and your love for us and your son, Jesus Christ. So calm our hearts down this morning. Remind us that you have crossed the horizons to find us. That you know our name. That though our heart has been stolen and though we ourselves are the thieves, That this does not define us, but rather your love is what makes us whole. So bless this reading of your word and open our ears and open our eyes and open our hearts so that we might understand our union with you all the more clearly and rest in the goodness of your grace. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Our scripture readings this morning are gonna stretch back to 1 Samuel, chapter 13. And we're gonna look at verses 13 and 14 together. This is a prophet speaking to a would-be king who has refused the heart that he has been offered in God. And Samuel, the prophet, said to Saul, the king, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of Yahweh your God with which he commanded you, but when the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. And because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you, or I'm sorry, because you have not kept what the Lord would have commanded you. Um, And I appreciate those cry out. That's the the cry of Saul's heart getting that message. That should be the cry of our heart when we receive that same message as well. Um, The voices of the young ones are always welcome, even in this time. Um, Our next reading comes from Psalm 51. And I want you to pay attention. This is a very familiar psalm. But if you would pay attention with me to who is doing the action here and who is receiving the action. This is a psalm of repentance and a psalm of confession when David was caught in one of his more public sins. Or rather, it was kind of a private sin that he could have gotten away with and kind of did in many ways. But then he makes it public with this public confession. A psalm. Can you imagine if the congregation... If, we were to, if you guys were to sing all of my sins, <laughs> I'm not writing that song, <laughs> and we are certainly not performing it here on Sunday morning. Um, but here the King David does. He says, "'Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. "'Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. "'Let me hear joy and gladness. "'Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. "'Hide your face from my sins, "'and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is the heart of the king who is God's choice over the king who would choose his own way. This is the heart of the king that God says, this is a man after my own heart. You need to know this because this is not a king that was perfect. This is a king who failed in brutal and awful ways. But this was a king who even, unlike my own leadership, says, I don't care because suddenly my weakness is the glory of the God who saved me. I am not ashamed to be a raging volcano because I have a God who has made me an island of life. And this again, is the message of Colossians. And so turn with me again, back over to the book of Colossians. If you can find it. it always takes a little bit for me to find in here. Our text that we're going to be looking at is Colossians 1, verses 28. And this is kind of the song of the book. It says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy, that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, The book of Colossians, as uh, John has so beautifully brought it to us, uh, what we're going to do today is a bit of an overview and a bit of a summary, highlighting this glorious theme that is so brilliantly lifted up of our union with Christ that runs through it. And if you recall, this is written by Paul, a church planter, a guy who would travel around starting different churches. And he started one in the city of Ephesus um, in the first century. And there, there was a man named Epaphras or Epiphras or, I don't know, my Greek isn't all that good, so we'll go with John's following of that, Epaphras. Or shoot, now I'm forgetting. Maybe he said Epiphras. I don't know. Anyway, we're going to move on. Um, This man, so moved by the gospel that he had heard from Paul, then helped to build the church that he was a part of there, and then went back to his home of Colossae and started another church there. So, this is not one that Paul had a direct hand in starting but it was one where the love of Christ that he had embodied in that one area has then overflowed, and so he has this privileged role of grandparent to this church. And at this point in the book, we're about to have a bit of a transition. In all of Paul's works and truly in all of the gospel, there are these two things that are of the utmost importance. Um, We call them orthodoxy and orthopraxy, Right, right words, right belief, and right action, right practice. And these two things always go hand in hand. In Paul's books, they often begin with several chapters of orthodoxy, and of course, this is an oversimplification. The the practical implications of this are woven throughout as well. But what is true, and then it transitions to, so what? So what do you do about it? Why does this actually matter, the orthopraxy? And where we are in the book, um, where our series will continue when John returns, is in the end of chapter three and the beginning of chapter four, the so what. So how do you live your life in the particular moment and in the particular culture in which you find yourself? And we'll get to that in, um, not in a minute, in a week. Um, But to set us up well for that, I want to review this big theme of union with Christ that has flowed all the way through, the, the big what is true that Paul is teaching. Um, a counter illustration of this is uh, a guy, a comedian named John Benjamin. A few years ago, I heard an NPR interview with him. He wrote an album, a jazz album, and plays on it. And the title of it is "Jazz Daredevil," and it says, "Well, I should have dot 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 learned to play the piano." And the album is, he's elected a bunch of particularly skilled jazz musicians and they're playing together and he has no idea how to play the piano. So if you pull this up on Spotify or wherever, he still strangely has 10,000 listeners per month. I don't know how that's possible. It's a terrible album. Um, but that's the whole joke. Like it's a big joke. You've got these skilled musicians and they set up each song and then all of a sudden in comes, David, may I? Uh, a little bit of this. Hesitantly tossed in there. No, no, no. And that's the whole point. It's this weird discordance because you've got this person who's all enthusiastic and who is all on board and really wants to do it. And yet he doesn't have the follow through. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's trying to do it, but he's not rooted and grounded in what it actually means to play the piano properly. And this is Paul's concern for the Colossians. There are different teachings that are being woven in of what you have to know in order to be qualified to really know Christ. And what you have to do and the disciplines and the practices and the habits that you have to have in place in order to be qualified to really know Jesus Christ. And Paul says, stop, no, you're playing the piano like that. You're volcanoing yourself again. This is not who you are. And we need this book of Colossians because we ourselves continue to do exactly this. We want to do before we are confirmed in what is true. Uh, For the Colossians, this manifested in the mystical polytheism, all the different gods that were being worshiped. And there was this idea of there's this secret knowledge that you have to have that unites this and that and pulls all these things together and then that's who Jesus is but you can't know until you know all these other things and it has to all come together. And then there was inside the Jewish community these disciplines of, oh, but before you can actually enter into God's presence, before you can come to know God, you have to have all these patterns in your life and you have to have made up for all these other things and there's no way that you could come in and do all these things. And now, of, of course, is knowledge a bad thing? No. And is strong practice of what you believe a bad thing? Absolutely not except when those things creep their way onto the throne where only Jesus should be. Please, don't hear what I'm not saying. Of course we must know Jesus as he is. We have to have real knowledge of him. But the value is not in knowing about Jesus. The value is in knowing Jesus personally. And I can't give you a test for that. And you can't give other people tests for that. All we can do is point back to the God who made us and to the person of Jesus as he is presented in our word and say, do you know him? Do you know this man? Do you know this savior? And of course, We must do as our Savior does. That's the whole idea. Jesus summarizes the law and the prophets. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot split these two things. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy must be wedded together. They should be so entangled you can barely pull them apart in your life. However, it's just like playing on the field or working out in the gym, it's not so much the exact actions or motions that you're doing, but it's about the coach that you are following because your life is going to be different than anyone else's. And your first and foremost call is to follow him. That's why I sometimes say and pray the things that we pray of. The end goal is not to produce wonderful Presbyterians. Now, again, don't hear me wrongly. I'd love for you all to become wonderful Presbyterians, especially some of you who hide behind your baptism convictions so you won't become officers in the church. I see you. But the goal is, and this trumps all other things, following the person of Jesus Christ and doing so with all of your heart. It is always he who qualifies us and never we who qualify for him. That's why what God has provided for us in our need is not a whole internet of knowledge. Do you know over the course of history Nobody had access to this the way that we do, even in the last hundred years. Again, this is a good and beautiful thing for us to have it, but that is not the end goal. That's, God does not provide us in Jesus Christ like a system of, all right, do what I am, follow the practices that I am following, exactly follow every single thing that I have done. We'd we'd fail, (laughs) we've already failed. I've already failed. Pretty sure you have too. But rather, he gives us a person. He gives us the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's why the knowledge then becomes something that we are freed to pursue and not compelled to. And the practice and the behavior becomes something that we are freed to pursue, all because of who he is and what he has done for us. This is the maturity that Paul cries out for, and it's fascinating because Paul says that that's his mission in our text. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. But this is also in chapter four how he summarizes Epaphras' or Epiphras's um, vision and ministry. Uh, he says in chapter four, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. This is our call that we might then, knowing that our identity is in Christ above all things, stand firmly rooted and grounded in that. So what does it mean to be mature in our union with Christ? We're going to run through a few things very quickly, because again, this is review, um, but oh, review it. And pay close attention, because this is the Apostle Paul restoring your heart, that you may be all of what you have been called and made to be, in Jesus Christ. Um, The first thing, our union with Christ roots our identity in His identity. Um, Our translators, if I may be so bold, do us a bit of a disservice when they translate verses 15 through 20 just as prose and leave it in a block. Um, It should probably, probably, be more accurately put out as um, the indented ways that we in our culture recognize beautiful poetry this is, if you read the scholars on this, this is exalted language. Each word is tied into, I, I, had to, I had to work so hard not to make the whole sermon like just a focus on this section because we could do series upon series on just these verses because Paul has so laboriously crafted his language here. But what is your heart? Who is your Redeemer What is your identity when you are united to him? Well, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body. And this word head gets then repeated again and again and again throughout the rest of the book. The head of the body, the church, because that's who you are. You are the body, you are the church. He is the heart, and you are the island. Your identity draws from him. It does not come from you. You are a thing that must then be enlivened. But you are enlivened, and he is the source that has enlivened you. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth, Or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Our head matters. Do do you recall our scripture reading from 1 Samuel? You know what Samuel is referencing when he's rebuking the would-be king Saul? Saul's been given clear instruction on how to follow God and clear instruction on wait for God and don't jump the gun and do the things that you would do before the prophet God's presence has come to you. And Paul, and Saul looks around King Saul and he, he gets nervous and he sees all the things going on and he does all the right things, but he does them according to his timing. And the challenge is he takes all of who God is and he tries to leverage God's strength and his power to become a tool that Paul would then use for himself. And do you hear the compassion, the frustration, the disappointment that gets woven into these words? First Samuel 13 And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Your head matters, but because of God's love for us in Jesus Christ, we have the head who is the head over all things. We have a head whose heart does not turn towards anything else, whose heart is better than my heart, whose heart is better than your heart, whose heart is not a raging volcano that would turn to ash all that comes into contact, but rather it is the heart of God himself the source and creator of all things and all life. Therefore, you can know who you are. Therefore, you can freely admit the difference between your heart and the heart of God. Because you can say, because my heart on its own might be a volcano, but in Jesus Christ, I have all things. There's, uh, if you've ever watched the uh, movie about Martin Luther that came out about probably 10, 15 years ago, there's a questionable quote in there. I don't think Martin Luther actually said it, but it's such a wonderful condensation of so many things that Luther says. I've searched, and I can't find it referenced anywhere. But in the movie, the actor, fictional Luther, summarizes so much of real Luther's teachings when he says, So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. This is what we have when our heart has been restored in Jesus Christ. This is our union with Christ. Where he is, there I shall be also. So what of it when you point out my volcano-ness? I know who I am. I'm an island filled with the life of Jesus Christ, and I will grow. Secondly, union with Christ, as Paul just rips through these beautiful things and faster, if we just read his text, it'd even be faster than I can preach it to you. Um, But he progresses on with huge amounts of speed Union with Christ qualifies us by his preeminence. And then all of chapter 2 gets into these two different things that culturally are warring. And Paul stops and reminds each time, stop it. Remember who Christ is? And he speaks so boldly. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by... And then all these things. And then verse 16, therefore let no one pass judgment on you because of all of these things, and he hits these categories of knowledge and of behavior so powerfully. And again, knowledge and behavior are not bad things. And even knowledge and behavior about what it is to follow the way of Christ are not bad things. But I would warn you, as the Apostle Paul even does, knowledge and behavior about even Jesus that would then be used to disqualify you from knowing Jesus? That is the wrong way round. And therefore, it then trips you and would cause you to fall rather than lift you up and give you life. The imperative and the indicative, what is true and what to do, orthodoxy and orthopraxy, these two things cannot be one more valued over the other, but the order of them must be kept very clear. Who you are in Christ, your unity with Christ, means that you cannot know anything except Him. You can be radically wrong. But if you know Christ, if you know Christ, you are nonetheless secure. Um, For those of you who have family members who might have intellectual disabilities... Or whose wit and mental quickness might not be what it once was. There's such peace in this that comes from what they model for the rest of us. Many of us remember. Uh, many of us remember Matthew McLean, a man who was a part of our congregation for many many years, who had Down syndrome. I have two kiddos myself who have Down syndrome. Knowing Matthew is what gave me so much hope to understand them because we would have this Sunday evening worship service um, at the time and each time it was a much smaller service at the time. Um, And so we'd take time for prayer and to sing and each time Matthew would stand up and he would talk. And I remember as a teenager, I would watch him and I'd, I'd have such a hard time understanding what he would say. And most of the time he would then sing and then whenever he would sing, he would always cry. And I remember sitting there as a teenager going, this dude loves Jesus way more than I do. And yet, even as a teenager, I knew, I, I, I thought, I had a higher intellectual understanding of who Jesus was. And so I was confronted in that moment, what is more valuable? And that planted the seeds for so much of my understanding of what it means to follow God. Our hope is not in what we know, our hope is in who we know. And let us learn from those who are differently abled so beautifully as they model this for us. Reject any thought that would add needing anything beyond Jesus Christ. Verse six of chapter two, therefore as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and grounded and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See that no one disqualifies you, or sorry, see that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. You have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. I could go on, but we don't have time. But please, go on, on your own. Um, Thirdly and finally, we'll look at union with Christ and how it equips us by his character. Um, Man, here again, we could just read these sections, but we'll just read the opening parts. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he says in verse 5, and then in verse 12, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And he launches into these lists. I'll, I'll just bring us back to the words of Jesus himself in John chapter 8 where he's speaking and these people are wrestling through what does it mean to follow God? Who's going to be the greatest? How's this all going to play out? All all these different things. Jesus, why are you talking to these people versus those people? And Jesus looks at him and then he says, whom the Son has set free, he is free indeed. Because you are then launched to be able to know And to study and to go into all the nerdy theology sections your brain and your heart could possibly handle because then you are freed to know him you don't have to know all of those things but you are freed to and that is what then brings all of that knowledge beauty and life and light and that's how the trees grow and that's how the island brings life you are also then freed to truly mortify the flesh to put to death in you all the things, he says, of the world, and what he means by that is all the things that are part of the culture that you naturally grew up in and come from. All the things about your life that do not reflect the life of Christ. You are free, freed. You don't have to belong to a particular tribe. Know Christ and know him above all things. Your unity with Christ equips us in all things. This is like, for the reality of this, we might, become, we might then grow afraid because we think, oh, well, then I have to get to all these points and I have to model his character and all the things that I do. And, and yes, there is an invitation to that. But I'd rather have you think of the life of Christ like, like you might think about coffee or I suppose tea as well, if you have to. Um, but something that you are steeping in, That by being in the presence of and by knowing intimately and fully, you then progressively become marked more and more and more by the aroma of who he is, by the flavor of what his character would be and by how it would be filled out. Um, This is an actual Martin Luther quote that he wrote in response um, to the papal bull that would have him excommunicated for his 95 Theses. He says, this life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. It is not health, but healing, not being, but becoming, not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. And unity with Christ, brothers and sisters, this is hard to believe sometimes, but hold on to this. Would you play the piano? Would you be something other than a volcanic island in the relationships around you? Would you know what it means to purify and to build and to grow life into your career, into your schools, into your marriage, into your parenting, into your brothering and sistering? Fix your eyes on the person of Jesus Christ. Know him over and above and beyond and deeper than your theology. Know your theology, but don't let it distract. Don't don't let it it become a thing to know rather than a person to know. And as you do this, you, you can then put to death all the things of this world. And then you... Can you, it's so hard to believe. You actually can clothe yourself in Christ. Your life can then be marked by compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. What if the world looked at us and said, Man, those people are meek, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, that we would above all be known by love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then the peace of Christ would rule in our hearts. This is happening and it is happening in you. Union with Christ is our everything. Union with Christ is what it means to have your heart restored. Union with Christ is what then frees you to play the piano, to know all the theology, to live beautifully in your neighborhoods and communities. Because whereas on our own, we would try to do all the things before we are conformed to what the truth is, God's provision for us is not knowledge and is not systems of behavior but rather it is the person of Jesus Christ himself. And so our call is to mature in this union we have with Christ, rooting our identity in his identity, being qualified by his preeminence and being equipped by his character and his character alone. Please pray with me. Father, these are all things that are more than we can ever do. Of course they are. And so we lift up our hands and we would pray again with David the psalmist where we opened this morning. Our story becomes marked not by our own accomplished, but we can say, we also have waited patiently for the Lord, and you have inclined to us and heard our cry, and it is you who draws us up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog, and you set our feet upon a rock, and the rock is you and your Son, Jesus Christ, and by him you make my steps secure, and so you can put this new song in my mouth, a song of praise to you, our Father so that many might see and fear and put their trust in you. Lord, let this be true of us. Root us and ground us in this. Mature us through this truth, which is our union with you. It's in your name that we pray, amen.